Hollywood. Ba 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 ba. Hollywood. Ba 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 ba. Hello and welcome to Come Back a Star. I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And today, well, what do we do usually? I can't remember. Um, we kind of fart around for a couple hours. Um talking about what's wrong with, with the state of the world and how uh, pretty soon now the mothership is going to come and sort us all out and it will be manned by a bunch of dancing chorus girls and vaudevillian stars trying to make it big in Hollywood. In case you guys haven't noticed, we are going to be talking about a little picture called Hollywood Review. Yeah. If you haven't heard of it, don't worry. Don't worry about it. It's, you know, if you're a, a for real film historian, it's still pretty okay to skip this one, I think. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's something. Uh, it is a thing. It is. Uh, we're Come Back a Star. We rate movies uh, that uh, we watch that have been nominated for Oscars. Uh, we uh, Specifically the, Best Picture. Best Picture. That's that's that's, right. that's the baby. Uh, through a uh, scintillating categories that really hammered down whether the Academy got it right or not. Right. So today we have our usual four major categories, which are acting, writing, cinematography, and overall, Mm -hmm. how well those three things work together. And we have some bonus rounds for you, which are, uh, let's see if I can remember them off the top of my head. Uh, costumes and sets. Costumes and sets. Boldness. Legacy. And longevity. Longevity, right. And our new bonus category that we realized we had to put in once we started doing talkies. Technical. That's right. Which That's is right. going to be like sound, I guess, special effects, things like that. There are movies that earn, I think, or deserve some bonus points just for their technical aspect. And after this one, I, I can really understand the singing in the rain scenes about early sound and its hazards so much more. Yeah. Um, now that we've explained the show. Let's do this thing. How do you want to start? Should we cover the movie? They'll take about 15 minutes. Um, if that, because there's no real plot. It is a review as a... That's just a variety show, I think, is more commonly what it's called, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a series of shorts vaguely strung together. Not even like uh, that, really. I mean, I guess just to show <laughs> off sound now and uh, dancers. I mean, it's really a showcase for sound. Yeah, pretty much. This is uh, we're starting our 1928-29 season of the of the academy awards and the big thing now every movie that we covered in the previous year of 27 28 were silent all of the nominees now are talkies and uh a lot of singing singies as well because there's mm. a lot of singing that people got really jazzed about oh god at how so hmm how do you describe something that has no plot there are just I think it is important to just kind of go in and say what they were going for. And right. the basically it's never explicitly said and uh obviously not, but I think it was kind of trying to be a reconciliation between all the movie stars who had established themselves in silent film and suddenly all these uh actors from vaudeville on the East Coast who now had the opportunity to do their stuff, which is mostly grounded in singing or dialogue, how they get to launch their careers now in movies because they now have a venue for that. And so in a way, it's to both introduce these new stage stars into the world of cinema and also to like say, but hey, 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 these silent film stars that you know and love, they're still relevant. Uh, Here's what they can do. Right, and they're all—all all of these human beings are owned by the MGM studio. Yeah, this is just, an just for MGM reference. production, uh, which I guess was probably the biggest at this point. Um, I think MGM was kind of—I yeah, really don't know—but the Lion King uh, for quite the few decades to come, they had the biggest hits and definitely the biggest, most spectacular musical numbers. Um, yeah, we're talking about an era too where the actors were 
more or less like by contract owned by the oh, yeah. owned by the studios oh, like yeah. they they couldn't do anything else or just for those uh studios and so that was a big selling point for the studios themselves rather than a picture having all of these big names it was kind of look at us we're MGM and we own all of these names and it was you know it launched a lot of careers for people made a lot of people famous but it also ended quite a few careers cuz uh, Buster Keaton is in this, and you know a lot of people say, and it's true, that his comedy doesn't translate as well into sound, and that is true. He doesn't have the world's best voice. His, you know, I've watched a few of his clips from early sound films, and there's just the magic is kind of taken away when you can hear his pratfalls. It's just so much funnier when it's like totally silent. Mm. But honestly, I feel like the true death knell for him was going over to MGM because he had been independent. He'd had creative control over his own movies. And then MGM just took control, gave him scripts he didn't like. And so he just kind Oof. of, you know, devolved into booze and oh, lost poor guy. his way. But, you know, I mean, he ended up getting back on his feet. But that's, you know, just an example of what the silent film stars, I think, had to go through. Well, while we're, while we're on the topic of... um of him, the name I'm blanking on right now. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton, gosh. (laughs) Now that we're talking about uh, Buster Keaton, why don't we talk about the number that he's in for Hollywood Review of 1929. Uh, Yeah, so Buster Keaton's number, he's not going to sing. He's going to stay silent, which is probably for the best. And he performs uh, a little erotic dance for the god Poseidon. Well, it's uh, it is a pretty funny reveal because uh, before we had seen basically this very uh, beautiful uh, woman step out of a clam. She was uh, very barely dressed, uh, oh, kind yeah, of burlesque dancer. And she does her, uh, you know, enticing dance. And then they do an effect where the clam kind of goes underwater and Poseidon is like, come forth, my daughter, and dance for me. Which is very disturbing and out pops buster keaton so that's pretty great but he is dressed very erotically and uh it seems with, to be just, with spatulas and things like that yeah it's on his belt pretty which hilarious was pretty stretches. that was pretty funny that it's, made me laugh yeah uh and yeah well what would you have to say about his erotic dance i give it a seven out of unnecessary Seven out of unnecessary. I like that. Unnecessary should be the new bonus category, really. (laughs) Oh, right. I mean, and that's kind of what really epitomizes this like new era of the talkie was just this fascination, which is understandable. I mean, you kind of think of how CGI is probably the biggest uh, technical breakthrough that we've had in movies lately. Mm -hmm. And there's real temptation to use it at every single possibility yes yes and it's sad that this fascination with sound kind of came on the heels of silent movies pretty much reaching perfection in the late 20s yeah dad reminded me of a of a quote i can't remember who said it it might have been someone like keaton uh who said uh they created sound just as silent movies figured it out Mm -hmm. like figured out their style so that is a shame that is a shame yeah Let's um, let's see other things in the review. Well, overall, it's like it's it's like half hosted by a silent great and this newcomer named Jack Benny. So it's Jack mm-hmm. Benny kind of represents the vaudeville newcomers, and Conrad Nagel is the sort of romantic uh, leading man of the silent uh, film, and they both kind of Jack Benny seems to just take over after a while from Nagel again, kind of right. symbolic of like who's going to be. Huge here. And I can't say, you know, Benny is just one of the most hilarious guys. He has the one of the best deliveries ever. Yeah. But his material is just nobody is too great in this movie. I think because it's just there was so much pressure to get the sound right. These were people who had never been in movies before. This was Benny's very first movie. And, uh, you know. They make a little joke. I can't remember now who the silent star was who comes out and kind of hazes him. Um, But there probably was some tension between these upstart uh, New York vulgar vaudevillian comedians 
and these old silent standbys. And so yeah, I think they, it just kept people from really bringing their A game. They, they lack the quiet dignity of getting kicked in the butt. Exactly. That would have saved this movie. Honestly, it would have because the jokes really do sound like they're written in a lab. Yes. Somewhere. It's like, man, I wish like Jack Betty and his writers could have actually done their own material. I don't think they were probably allowed to at that point. Again, MGM was very controlling. Yeah. And of course, we had a lot of singers as well, um, some of which were were good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a style that's not really our generation. It's white music kind of hit a low. I think in the uh, <laughs> late twenties, um, and definitely a lot of white guys singing like this, and I cannot stand that kind of warbling. It like, was a little bit Lawrence Welk, the movie, <laughs> but it was even like pre Lawrence Welk. It's just that I mean, it's like, but that same kind of corniness that is just it just is. It, it seemed like the kind of movie people would make fun of like yeah and uh, i mean i get why gene kelly used a lot of it for singing in the rain like apparently like you were right he did watch it and i guess you know this was the first movie that introduced the song singing in the rain and i think it was kind of used as like a a beacon of hope during the depression you know it's raining it's pouring everyone's jumping off of buildings because they're you know so upset that they're bankrupt but let's keep on dancing and singing yeah, I guess you should point out that this was released 1929. I'm not sure if it was released pre or post. That's a good point. I think stock market it, I crash. think it must have been post given the given the tone. Uh, so there's probably that added pressure to it too, but yeah, Kelly used the uh, singing in the rain number with the arches and the rains as a, a, his inspiration for the beginning credit sequence and singing in the rain. So Yeah, actually the singing in the rain number was I mean, that was actually enjoyable because it was singing in the rain. Except I was disappointed because I know Jimmy Durante did a version in a movie and I figured it was going to be this one, but no Jimmy Durante. It's kind of sad. Mm. Very sad. What other big names do we have? We have Laurel and Hardy. Again, you know, they were, they're still hilarious, but I, they, again, I don't think they were given the best, their best material for this. Yeah. Again, it didn't, it didn't read like it was either, either it wasn't, created by them or they just were still trying to figure out the sound of it and well, how it everything was, worked it was framed very poorly i think and uh so you know the setup is that they're gonna do a magician's act and of course for people who don't know you know laurel and hardy their shtick is that uh uh stan laurel he's kind of the the dopey one of you know kind of sad and skinny and always just kind of messing up and hardy is kind of he also messes things up but he's bigger he's brasher and he's liable to take it all out on on laurel poor stanley poor stanley and uh yeah laurel keeps accidentally like dropping stuff or breaking eggs that were going to be used and hardy keeps trying to compensate and it's you know i mean it's got good bits because again they're funny men but it just you couldn't really you'd have to go like, wait, what? What's the gag here? Oh, right. They're magicians. So it's just it, it was a very it doesn't. Cohesive. I mean, for me, it didn't work. And maybe that's just a failure on on my part. But yeah, it just it didn't it didn't translate terribly well in the context of what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, other big names. We have Joan Crawford. Yeah. Joan Crawford. Uh She'd been, uh, you know, one of the one of the it flapper girls of the twenties, and it's it's weird to you know now that we know her as you know mommy dearest and the feud and and everything that she you know she's very pretty and uh, dances her little her little legs off. She's not the best singer, but that's okay. She's not the greatest singer, and I feel like even the dancers were not the best dancers either. They weren't as disciplined, I don't think, back then as as yeah. dancers became later in the 20th century. So there I guess, was I guess we in. can get into this in longevity. But if you decided to go out and upon um, our non-recommendation to go <laughs> out and, and watch this movie, you're going to be a little bit disappointed with the dancing because it it is not Gene Kelly. No. 
and it's it's not it's not even going to Vegas today uh-uh. by any stretch. And, you know, it would be a few years before we got Busby Berkeley at 42nd Street. So you get the really awesome cinematography to go along with the uh, choreography. We got we get a little of it towards the end. They do like an overhead shot where uh, you can see the dancers uh, making like patterns or whatever. But it's yeah, mm-hmm. mostly pretty static filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't fantastic. We had. Oh, <laughs> we had Bessie Love. And who else from from the actual winner of 1928-29? We got both uh, Charles King and uh, Anita Page as well. So the big three from that movie. Right. So and they also referenced um, Broadway Melody, which is the winner mm-hmm. of the Academy Award for Best Picture in this year. And they even reference this movie, which... Um, I'll have to admit we skipped ahead and we have seen that one, but it was better than this oh, yeah. Hollywood review. So it was kind of like, hey, remember this better, better movie, movie while that you're you paid watching to watch? this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, like Hollywood review is the kind of stage production that they've that they're making in uh Broadway melody. So it just it, it's a little weird. It's very disorienting in a way but i think of the three bessie love comes out the best in this one she just right she just has such zip i guess you'd say yeah she seems like one of those actresses that's pretty difficult to knock down yeah yeah um she just has so much high energy so she does yeah she she really brings it uh and we also have marion davies yes but but citizen kane this isn't no, no, but I think it's <laughs> it's a routine I think she was much more comfortable with the kind of vehicles uh, William Randolph Hearst would put her in, where she, she gets to be like kind of daffy and dancing around instead of, and she does some impressive kicks too. Oh, yeah. Reminding you that she was, you know, got, did start out, it's like a chorus girl. So that's fun. Yeah, nice little tidbit. She is, of course, how about you explain what we're talking about? Because I didn't know. Oh, yeah. So um, Orson Welles wrote Citizen Kane about very powerful columnist uh, William Randolph Hearst. And uh, one of the characters in Citizen Kane, who becomes his second wife, is this uh, kind of blonde, screechy uh, girl who doesn't really want to be a singer. But Kane makes her become an opera singer and she hates it. She's not any good at it. And the the dynamic was clearly based on the relationship William Randolph Hearst had with uh, Marion Davies, who he met when she was a chorus girl. Um, And he was married and like 20 years older than her. And he never divorced his wife. He just lived separately from her, built Hearst Castle in California and just lived there with uh, Marion Davies for the rest of his life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, Orson Welles did say he kind of regretted portraying the Marion Davies character as talentless. Because Mary Davies herself was a very talented comedian um, and dancer. But William Randolph Hearst had this idea that she, no, she was going to be this great leading lady up there with like Greta Garbo. And uh, so would put her in these like big historical dramas. And she was just so out of place. And the public kind of came to resent her just because she was constantly being pushed to people's faces because of Hearst. And she, oh, man. she kind of resented that, I think. Yeah, I mean, she seemed she seemed okay. Yeah, it's weird to this. say. Yeah, I mean, again, nobody really comes out on top. I mean, if you were to ask me just based on this movie, if I'd think like Greta or uh, Joan Crawford or Bessie Love would be the bigger star after this, I would say like Bessie Love, definitely. Because Joan Crawford, she's cute and all, but she doesn't really hit it. And I think it's because probably nerves, you know? I think it was especially hard for people who been silent before then to not be silent but obviously joan works her little tail off and becomes quite 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 famous in their 30s so yeah yeah i think she did a, did a pretty good job i guess yeah um does not stand out yeah it's but no one really stands out <laughs> yeah nobody really stands out in at least a good way you remember laurel and hardy because everyone knows laurel and hardy um buster keaton because everyone, everyone remembers and it, that was a pretty memorable Iran yeah dance. it was definitely different 
from the usual affair. The rest of it is very Hollywood. And then we have Buster Keaton doing his bit for for our great god Poseidon. Yeah. Which, which again, there's no explanation. No explanation at all yeah, and for I mean, Poseidon. And I think that's what those old style reviews were all about, like the Ziegfeld follies and everything. There was, It's not about anything. It's just about spectacle and how much mm-hmm. you can create on stage. And it's just a little weird in a movie format where you're used to plot. And I think it was just a little experiment of theirs to see if this is a good way to introduce sound to people and all these new actors. Yeah, it struck me as, like I said earlier, as a series of shorts that they put together, which is like, that is what vaudeville is, is a series of short acts that you put together. Yep. But I get the feeling like you could have taken these and chopped them up and put them in front of the major picture or whatever. And that's kind of where they belonged. Yes, yes. Uh, But no, they, they made a whole... Two hours of this. Two hours. It did not need to be that long. Like that is my biggest complaint. No, yeah, no, no. The the circus was barely over an hour, and this was two hours long. Um, and I think maybe we're griping a little bit more about it because we're just not of that era. But it was not super engaging. And it's just done so much better in movies just a few years down the line. I mean, it's done better in Broadway Melody of that same year. It's done better in 42nd Street. And I mean, and you, it's, yeah, not my, the kind of music I'd go to, but when, you know, you can sell anything if people are really into it and doing it well. But this was not. Yeah. There was singing in the rain. There was singing in the rain. That was cool. And, uh, Almost all of the actors show up in the big finale to sing that. and um, Almost all of them. So you kind of wonder how many like just wriggled out of yeah, it. Yeah, Stan Laurel were like, I'm piecing out of this. And uh, I guess a nice little piece of trivia I read. I guess, you know, they were still marketing Buster as Mr. Silent. So he doesn't sing. He stands there in his raincoat. And I noticed him holding something, but I didn't really look at it. But I guess it was like a box of like Nabisco biscuits, uh, biscuits because it had like a picture of a little boy. In a raincoat. So there's that. Oh, interesting. You know, doesn't really add anything, but okay. Um, well, we can't go too much farther without bringing in Ukulele Ike. Oh, is that little Bippy? That's uh, Cliff Edwards. Cliff Edwards, which is a name I know. So I think he appears in other <laughs> stuff. Let's double check his IMDb. Oh, right. This is the guy who appears in His Girl Friday. Oh, yes. Okay. I don't know what the role is. It's been a while and, since I've Endicott? seen Endicott? I don't know. Anyway, Ukulele Ike is kind of like a running gag where he shows up and he wants to play the ukulele and then they always interrupt it with some other number. Which again, I'm sure could have been funny and great or whatever, but the pacing was just off the Yeah, it mostly just got confusing. So it was kind of like, I'm here to play the ukulele. And then he'd play it for a little bit, like a decent amount. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll, you know, the ukulele music of this era is not too bad. And then it gets kind of like randomly interrupted by something else. And they're kind of like, ha ha ha, stupid ukulele Ike. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. And I, something about that and just the whole pacing of the fact that, you know, it's like they're performing to an audience, but obviously there's no audience actually there. It's like a really stressful final dress rehearsal. Yeah, I it's can see that. It's got that energy. Oh, and speaking of rehearsals, we also, I'm just like remembering, you know. Yeah, it comes back in flashes, like traumatic memories, yeah. It's a good thing that I don't have to remember any order for this because there is no order. Yeah, it does not matter at all. But one bit does have color. And speaking of rehearsals, it's them rehearsing Romeo and Juliet in a very Muppetine sort of way. Very Muppety with a... Norma Shearer and John Gilbert. Poor John Gilbert. I almost forgot his name. I've I've never known his name, so he was huge in silent films as uh Greta Garbo's lover. Oh, that's right. You were yeah. telling me about that. And yeah. I guess this movie kind of they say in the trivia for it, say it sunk his career because, you know, women who had been fantasizing about him all this time were like, ew, what's that voice? Um <laughs> I mean, 
I don't know how true that is. There might have been more going on. I feel like a lot of the stories about actors failing because of their voices are just stuff that like the studios put out because they couldn't negotiate good contracts with them or something. But yeah, his voice ain't great. And um, he's not a very good Romeo. And frankly, Norma Shearer is not a very good Juliet. Yeah, we had some questions about that studio. So get back to us, MGM. Um, We weren't sure if they were being over the top and bad on purpose for like comedic effect or if. Anyway, you should probably explain the gag. The gag is that we watch them do the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet for a good long time. It's not even like a snippet. And they're doing the traditional dialogue and being very melodramatic about it. And someone comes in and says, like, hey, the studio wants you to spice this up and make it modern. Yeah, that someone is Lionel Barrymore of the famous Barrymore stage family. And uh, I guess uh, he was getting well known as a director at that point. So it's implied that he's directing this. And so, but yeah, go on. You explain the rest of it. Oh, yeah. So and then they they take over. They, they go back to the balcony and they use slang of the day, which is, you know, moderately funny. And yeah, that's pretty good. But man, before that, when they were trying to do actual Shakespearean acting, it was not great. Yeah, Norma Shearer was married to Irving Thalberg, who is kind of the boy genius of MGM, big producer. So there are things to be said about maybe why she had the prominence she did. She ended up having been one of the biggest stars of the 30s. But you can't really see why from this from these clips. She just... Not a very good actress at this. No, it's, it's a little bit. Oh, Kermy. He is very, very, like you said, like Muppet style. But uh, yeah, that's that's the movie. And apparently um, Greta Garbo was going to be in it. Oh, really? Um, She wasn't going to play Juliet, though, which I thought might have actually been something to have her and Gilbert do it. But she was going to do a monologue from... Uh, St. Joan, but Hallberg then decided that no, 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 when Garbo speaks for the first time, it has to be big. So that he had her do Anna Christie like a year later, which is her first sound film. Oh, okay. So good, good on that guy. Yeah. I mean, get her out of that trash. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very unkind to this movie just because I feel like it was so studio controlled that nobody had the freedom to be as good as they could have been. Yeah. I think that's. That's exactly it. Um, it does. It really does feel like it was made from from the brainchilds of various studio executives that aren't terribly creative. Mm-mm. And I mean, there's just too many people involved. Like, I mean, it's impossible to have that many actors and make sure each one feels comfortable with what they're doing. Feels like they've got they're bringing their A material because you also got to factor in sound and spectacle and a million actors. So it's just kind of impossible to make something like that good it seems like yeah and several sexist jokes as well and racist we, and racist jokes yeah i miss the racist ones but well i mean i think have oh marie dressler is oh, it? She, and you know I, I love her but you know she's brought in on a caravan by by you know some black slaves and i think there's a little blackface at some point but I can't yeah that was been. a question that we had was there is a dance number where there are white women dancing and what looks like black men dancing as well. And we had a question of, is that blackface or is it just like the way that it's lit? Yeah. And again, or is it, (laughs) or is it, what would be really fantastic is if it were actual black actors, but I making money, I somehow doubt having a bunch of African-American men dancing with white women would have flown. Yeah, then, yeah, that's kind of what I'm and thinking. And this would have been a million times better if, like, Cab Calloway or <laughs> Louis Armstrong, uh, you know, Bessie Smith, if some one of them could have just shown up and been like, just sit down, let let let, <laughs> let us take over this vehicle. But of course not. Yeah, so I, you're right, you're right. I had forgotten about the whole racist parts of it as well. Now I dislike it even more. Uh, so. Yeah, and the sexist jokes that I'm remembering don't even, I can't even remember them because they weren't really jokes. It was kind of like, huh, women. Yeah, I mean. The way they do things. I mean, we're going to see a lot of that. I mean, it's just 
how it was. I mean, and you do see like a lot of cool beginnings of stuff in the 30s of the, you know, the uh, hard boiled uh, female reporter getting her stuff done. Like that becomes a character in the 30s, you, like the Joan Crawford characters. But of course, it always comes hand in hand with the message, but she'd be much happier with the man than with her career. So that's disappointing. It's like, oh, cool. Oh, so oh, we're going to have never mind. That. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else from this movie that we need to recall? I mean, probably, but who like so much happening at once? I don't know. It wasn't very uh, good. There was a lot of dance numbers, a lot of dance numbers that weren't filmed very well. And so it just seemed clunky and off. And uh, there were some cool, goofy costumes I liked. Yeah, I guess so. I think that it was created by the studio. Yes. And I also think that the studios had a lot more pressure and influence on the Academy Awards at this point. This, you know, this Best Picture was the only nomination this movie received, actually. I wonder why. I wonder why. It's like not even the Academy could like give more than that. Because, I mean, again, there's no plot. There's no acting. There's, it's just, it's a review, which is, okay, yeah. fine, but... It's again, something they didn't really take into account is that a review is really only fun if it's live in front of an audience and you get that laughter. I think part of the reason why a lot of those actors like Jack Benny or Stan or, uh, you know, Laurel and Hardy might not have been at the best is because it's like they were doing the bits that they would do for laughter and nothing was happening. And I think that's why they a lot of I mean, Jack Benny was in quite a few movies and he had a pretty good movie career but he was mostly a radio star and i think it was because he could have that rapport with the audience i mean it must have been so awkward to just be doing these bits pausing for laughter right and nothing it reminded me of all of those scenes in the star wars prequels where they're acting to a green screen clearly and there's like no reality around them no it's like <laughs> yeah, imagine doing stand-up comedy to just a completely blank room. I mean, it's not pretty. Yeah, it's it uh it falls flat and probably wouldn't have gotten a nomination unless MGM strong-armed it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So shall we go into rating it? I guess. What else can we do? We we managed to fill out a good 35 minutes talking about it. And we didn't even have that much banter in, in the beginning. I think we're making up for the fact that this movie was an hour too long. That's true. This is how long the movie should have been. been. Yeah, because usually we when we review these episodes are about as long as the movie. Yeah. <laughs> this. No, we're not even to the first act break. Like, oh, that's the other thing, too. It had an intermezzo. Yeah, it's just like. Really? So, just, just... And I kind of wonder if that was if they really expected people in the movie theaters to like get up and go to the restroom in the middle of the movie, maybe I mean, they I did. Guess, I mean, two hours is pretty long back then. I mean, it's long now really, but you know, we're, we're all, our butts are all a lot firmer these days and can handle sitting longer, but yeah. back then probably people would have been getting antsy. Maybe a little bit. So. Yeah. Let's get into rating this. This Hollywood review of 1929. Okay. Our first four major categories are the acting, writing, cinematography, and then overall, how well do those three work together? And I think this rating system is not going to work well together with, (laughs) with this movie. So acting on a scale from one to 10, Laura. Why? Uh, I'm going to give it a three. A three. I'm being kind. I was about to say, you're being very generous because I was going to give it a two. I mean, again, I am surprised that like Bessie Love, I mean, she did have a somewhat okay career, I think, in talkies. uh, But then I think she just upped and moved to England because she just didn't like the direction of things in Hollywood. Good for her. But because I really think she came off great. I think there are a few people who shown, but. I can't even think of him right now. So. Jack Benny did okay. Like, yeah, Jack Benny did okay. But again, he wasn't given very good material and he, and he would yeah. always acknowledge that he was not a great improviser. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you saw some of them. Bessie definitely acted through what she was given. Yeah, she because she just has like a really good personality. I watched an interview with her in the 60s when she was like a little old lady. She still had that kind of like fun little girl energy. So I think she just, I, I don't know. I have a crush on her. <laughs> uh, okay. Writing zero. on a scale from one to ten. I'm even a zero. Zero, huh? Yeah. What did you give for acting? Oh, I gave it a two. Oh, good for you. Okay. What are you giving for the uh, writing? I'm trying to think of a single thing that I can remember that they wrote that was at all entertaining. I it, mean, it's just like they had they had more like sketches of what might have been good. Yeah, I almost wonder if I should give it just a point. Because maybe a lot of the reason why it fell flat is because of the pacing and the and the way it was framed and everything. But nah, I'm just gonna keep it at zero. It wasn't good writing. I, I'm I'm also gonna give it a zero. I think they just should have let like people like Laurel and Hardy and Buster Keaton and Jack Benny write their own material. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. yeah, they should have actually just gotten all the vaudevillians and said, put on a vaudeville review. And, but, and, and we'll film it. But what do you want to bet? Like some of the big wig silent films are like, oh no, they'll just give uh, themselves all the A material and leave us behind. And blah, 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 blah. there was, I'm sure, all sorts of politics. The, yeah, there, there were a lot of personalities involved in there this were. production. I can't imagine it was a really super fun environment to film it. <laughs> Cinematography. Oh, God. I'll give it a one just because they did manage one overhead shot of the dancers. But otherwise, I think the cinematography really hurt the movie. Really yeah. hurt it. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to do a spectacle like that, I get it. It's hard to incorporate sound when it's brand new. It's hard to incorporate all these actors. But make sure you do it well if you're going to do it. I don't know. They did have they did have that uh that shell fade and there was the underwater effect. For Poseidon. So that's what earned it, that whole one point. And, you I, know, they threw color in there. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it a one. Um, framing was just so awful. Everything was off center. That's true, too. I forgot Like when they, that. like, zoom away at the end and it just kind of wobbles and you see this little off-center square and of, like, the action fading from view. And it just, ah, so bad and clunky. Yeah, it was not great. Let's go on to our fourth major category. Overall, how well did the acting, writing, and cinematography work together? Did these failures of a parts make up a better whole? My thought is... It's not a number. Okay. Use your words. No, I feel you. <laughs> One. One. Let me go ahead. Oh, gosh, do I have to give it one? It's a very bad movie. Uh, I will give it a one. I was debating between one and zero. Because uh, I feel like even all the elements work worse together. Yes, and that's really the tragedy of it. And it's And it's what people say overall in big ensemble movies is they're so hard to get right. Because there are too many personalities, too many things at play. It's hard to get it right. And they did not get it right. All right. Not doing so well so far. No. Hollywood Review, Let's 1929. See if- Let's see if they can get some bonus points. Uh, saddest fog. Can you like get like a really sad sounding uh, like kind of foghorn effect here? Or a- bah, 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 bah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even going to get a different sound effect for that one. <laughs> it's not, you're not worth it, Hollywood Review. We paid for that air horn sound, and we're not going to do it another time for this. I that. I feel like I should chip in. All right, going to our bonus rounds. Costumes and set. That will probably get the highest rating for me. I'll give it a three. Three bonus points. Three bonus points. I'll be kind in the last. I mean, they're goofy. There are a lot of them. There were a lot of them. And that, and again, might be a problem because they probably put so much effort and budget into the costumes and sets and making sure it all worked okay and didn't make too much noise that, you know, they forgot about the people wearing them and how they came off. 
I guess that's a point. Um, and, you know, going back to cinematography, that one point also includes Bessie Love shrinking. Oh, my goodness. I had forgotten about Bessie Love shrinking. That Apparently was so that was bizarre. Jack Betty's idea. And I'm like, Jack, what were you on? That made no sense. Yeah, she appears. I don't know if it's because she was a tiny woman. So it was a joke about that. She appears first in his vest pocket and then he takes her out and she grows bigger. So that's the thing like, that happens. Like one of those capsules that you pour water on and it turns into like a little dinosaur sponge. Here, this is what I'm going to say about this movie. You know, my mom grew up in the 60s and uh, her dad told her, look, your generation thinks you invented marijuana. It's been around since I was a kid. And I think this movie <laughs> might be evidence of it. Like, I, I wonder if the writers just toked off and were like, oh, man, this is a great idea. What if like Bessie, she, she freaking shrinks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. So we have a tiny Bessie love. Yep. So there there we have that. Yeah. Take that image with you. Um, OK, what am I going to give it? Costumes and set. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it two bonus points because there are a lot of them. Yes. And um, those are a lot of rain slickers that they had. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, the sets were. I guess they did move around and things like that. They were minimalist. Um, yeah. I mean, that shipwreck at the end was pretty impressive. For oh, yeah. In the rain. They have like a big backdrop of a. It's Noah's Ark. Of, of, of oh, duh, Noah's Ark. Um, <laughs> which again, I wonder if that ties into the depression or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. They're just singing in the rain because. Noah's Ark has landed and it's no longer a torrential flood destroying the world. Noah's Ark or the mothership. It all ties in. The time traveler from the circus. Ah. Keep it in mind. Hmm. The time traveler is Noah. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Okay. How about we go over to boldness? All right. Boldness. I'm going to give it a zero. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, you know, no, I'm going to give it a one just for the fact that they were bold enough to uh, turn on the men of America with Buster Keaton's erotic dance. That was bold. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, to me, it struck me as like very purposely not being bold or offensive in any way or know. or like challenging or feelings. I mean, it's it's very campy. <laughs> I guess a little bit. Not yeah. well done, camp, but technically, I think it's still the word still applies. It was, yeah, it was lackluster camp, which is just not great. If you're going to do camp, you got to do it well. Exactly. I mean, you could have fun, bad camp, but you have to know what you're doing with that. And this was trying to be good. <laughs> oh, so sad. Yeah. Legacy for me, zero. I'm trying to think. I what, mean, what, well, no, hold on. It did inspire singing in the rain. It did. It's so I, yeah, I guess I'll give it a, I'll give it another three just for that. Three points just for singing in the rain. You know, I mean, singing in the rain's a big deal. That is true. And I mean, it did, you know, ha- start the film careers of people like Jack Betty. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think he'd been famous in radio before that, but this was his first foray into film. All right. I'm going to match your three. Okay. I was, I was about to give it zero. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But then I, <clears throat> but then I remembered all the things that happened after that, that somehow got influenced by this movie. Yeah. All right. Next on to longevity. How well does this stand up? Now, here's where I'll bring in a zero. Big old fat zero. Yeah. I can't imagine people at the time liked it. I mean, it just... Even if you like that kind of music and that kind of warbling, it wasn't done well and it didn't sound good. Yeah, I think the main excitement was just like, oh, hey, you can hear what we hear on the radio done to the moving picture. Yeah. So... I guess the same excitement that you would get from the very early, like, music television sort of stuff. Exactly. You know, it was the glee of its time. All right. And our new category, technical. Was this, did this have like little technical elements that were good? And I'm going to go ahead and say that 
It did have sound. It did. And it wasn't a complete disaster, although it was clearly dubbed in afterwards in a lot of cases. Yeah. I mean, but that's the case, you know, today. A lot of people have to do, you know, post stuff. Did have color. <sighs> yeah. Um, in one bit, I want to make it clear that it is not a color movie. Okay, two points. One for the sound, two for the color. And also, I guess, the in some of the fade out stuff and the shrinking and the whatnot. Yeah, stuff that. that we definitely find very cheesy now. But yes, but I mean, I'm cool. sure in 1920, 1929, my, my, my brain would have been blown. How did he get her so small like that? It's witchcraft, buddy. Let's, let's burn down the studios. And never another film was ever made. At least not by MGM. No, never the little studio that was never heard of ever again. Okay, time to tally this up. Tally, tally. I am not feeling optimistic about its total. What? But we'll find out. It's easy to count up ones. <laughs> At least we made the math easy for you this time around. Yeah. Let me double check this. <laughs> All right, we have a grand total of, are you ready? I'm so excited. 25. Woohoo! Now, let's set that up. On our list here, you'll be shocked to hear that it's at the very bottom. By the question is now by well, I mean, how this much? Is our, yeah, our well, this is our like our first film of sound era, though. So it is at the bottom by forty-two points. So it would take three Hollywood reviews to match the next up, which would be the circus. Wow. It had to be three times as good. I'm also I'm almost a little mad at you for like mentioning the circus in the same breath as this movie. I'm I'm ashamed of myself. Oh my god. Um look, what I recommend if you're enticed by the idea of like seeing Bessie Love shrink, of seeing the color, of seeing Buster Keaton's erotic dance, I'm sure you can find clips on YouTube. I don't think it's worth hunting this down and watching all two hours, unless you're kind of a masochist. Yeah, and I think that's the first time we've ever done that. The very first time that we've said, like, don't bother watching this movie. No. And it does not bode well for our 1928-29 season because I was talking to you about this earlier. Um, the Rotten Tomato scores for all of our previous episodes, all of those movies, I think, got above 90% yeah. percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This one got... 50% with critics and 24% with audiences. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it's even the lowest one of this year. I haven't. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I haven't checked ahead, but maybe it is. Um, Yeah, the advent of talkies kind of uh, really drag things down for a little bit here. And you know, I mean, I love old movies. I love the old corny stuff, the weird clunky stuff. So this isn't just you know, hipster bashing of old stuff to bash on it. So if we say it's bad, it's, it, it's, it's bad. And it's, if you love old movies, just pass. pass. Yeah. There's, there's better stuff out there. Like Broadway Melody of 1929. Not the best movie, but I, I'd still recommend watching it. We'll get into that when we actually do the episode. But mm -hmm. so this was just, this was just a failure of any time, any era. Yeah. And it really makes me wonder what, what possibly even silent movies were skipped over for yeah for this because you know move over and now it's all about sound yeah sad who who, who did MGM push out of the way to get this <laughs> this vehicle to the front uh, of the line uh, such beautiful beautiful pieces of art we'll never see <laughs> we should probably check the other Oscars and see uh, yeah and see what was nominated that wasn't I mean, on the best yeah. picture was list there any silent film nominated this year you know I don't know I'll have to check we'll that have to out find out I bet you anything it'll be the best of the bunch I'm just saying that right now I might be proven wrong but I don't think so yeah I think you're probably correct the best movie of this year was probably some sort of silent movie that didn't make it yeah, and probably didn't get any any publicity or any money because you know people just wanted sound. It's too bad because oh. from what people said back then, it sounds like those talkies are just going to be a fad. 
Well, I mean, I guess they pick it up eventually. They do. They do. And I mean, once you get people like the Marx Brothers and W.C. Fields, I'm thinking mostly of comedians. But, Mm -hmm. you know, um, once Joan Crawford finds her groove, you do get some, you know, fantastic stuff that you can really, you know, like I said, the racket from uh, last year's would have done great, I think, as Mm -hmm. even an early talkie. But this is just was not one of them. Right. Right. Okay, I think that's it for the episode. Yeah. It's a short one. It's a short one. Um but Sorry just about be that. Be, no, just be glad it's not two hours. <laughs> All right. Um before we go, I want to announce that we are finally on the iTunes. Yes. Thank you, Jason, for setting all that up. He does all the technical stuff. I'm just here for you know color commentary. How many bonus points do I get for technical? Oh boy. Well, we'll see how we do. I guess that's a point. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 15, bud. Yeah. So this is going to be, what is it? Our seventh episode out. So it's going to be several weeks after we've been on iTunes out for a while, but we're still super excited to to be out there. Uh, We're also on Podbean and my understanding is that once you get things onto iTunes, it gets picked up by everyone else pretty quickly. Um, I want to send out a special thanks to several other podcasts that actually uh, were very supportive of us yeah, when we I'm mentioned excited. them. Uh, that would be mostly the Rex Factor family. <laughs> <laughs> they they liked my tweet, which is uh, pretty awesome. And um, at least one of them from Pontifax is going to review the uh, first couple of our episodes. Oh, that's so exciting and terrifying. I know, it. right? Thank you so much yes, for, thank you. for the, the positive support. That's really amazing. Um, you guys are, you know, my hero collectively. Wind beneath you, our wings, baby. Yeah. Together you form a gestalt hero. <laughs> Same. Thank you. And thanks to all our listeners. Yeah. If you like this podcast, why don't you share it maybe yeah. on the Twitter. Yeah. Our Twitter handle is at comeback a star. We're building a page on the Facebook as I originally remember calling it. <laughs> and yeah, uh, share us. Uh, why don't you rate us on iTunes and give us some comments. Let us know how we're wrong. Let us know yeah. how, how this podcast is a complete sham and you're disappointed and want your two hours back. And I mean, congratulations, you figured it out. (laughs) All right, everyone, you stay safe out there. Stay safe. And enjoy the movies. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Very nice. Ah, I love dunking on that movie. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) We, We lasted barely an hour. Yeah, well... That's what you get when you're not very good and you don't have a plot.